0: Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by XBel. I'm Mark Fleming Williams. In this episode, I speak to Jeremy Bacht, former head of alternative data at Bloomberg, angel investor and general alt data celebrity. In our conversation, Jeremy and I talk about his introduction to alternative data, his time at Bloomberg, his investment priorities, what he sees happening in the fast-moving technologies space currently, and his vision for the future of alternative data. You're very welcome. Jeremy you as i say are something of a of a big beast in the alternative data space um it's uh, it's a very familiar name you've got a huge a kind of huge linkedin presence and following and and uh a lot of events and and you're you're very much you will be a familiar face um so let us go back let's uh, as i as i kind of like to let's let's go back a little bit and just understand um where that's come from <laughs> um and i think probably that is that probably begins with 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 Bloomberg. Would you say it was um, you were global head of alternative data for Bloomberg? So here we are. So it's May 2017, and you're you're speaking to Bloomberg, and you're the you're you're to become the global head of alternative data. I mean, where was where was Bloomberg with alternative data at that point? Because obviously, everyone knows Bloomberg was all over traditional data. It's kind of the play for traditional data. So where would, where was the company coming from with with regards to the alternative side?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting when you when you have eleven billion in revenue, and you have you know the attention and audience of three hundred fifty thousand people on the terminal, and all of the enterprise data feeds to every major manager in the world, research banking. uh, I mean, Bloomberg has, bar none, the biggest footprint. So I think to some extent they weren't necessarily focused on alternative data yet. There was sort of a feeling of you know, our reference data business is almost a billion dollars in and of itself. So these little small category companies like an Estimize, you know, as they're approaching five to 10 to 15 million, they become interesting, but maybe more as a family of a hundred of these companies versus having one or two. So Bloomberg, around the time I was there, wasn't necessarily thinking about acquisitions. It was more of, let's get as many partnerships as we can that are Interesting, you know, subject to our own due diligence of the custody of the data, where is it from? Is it legal? Is it compliant? Does it have good data linkage? Is this something that can connect to a Bloomberg data dictionary? So I I think I'll take a step back and say there were already significant data streams coming in and out of the terminal and enterprise, of course, you know, many thousands of different data companies. However, I would say. Most of them tended to be more on the mature side, like a Moody's or a Dun & Bradstreet. There weren't a ton of smaller companies um, Mm. sort of in this frame yet. Um, So it was relatively early. And I think being on the enterprise side made it easier in a way. Instead of trying to integrate new data sets into a terminal that need to have a front-end rendering and sort of a lookbook on the top end with a bunch of functionality. It's a little easier to passport data through a data catalog on the API side. So that that's really where we started, at least from my perspective, was getting a lot of enterprise feeds, um, you know, from good vendors like uh, I don't want to name too many because I don't want to miss some of my friends. But uh, that that was really how it was thinking was let's go through the enterprise side first.
0: And and could you unpack that a little bit? Sorry. So and uh, so, rather than selling it to people with the, well, no, what, what do you mean by the enterprise side? So yeah.
1: So so I guess yeah. To be a little bit more precise, when you have a company with a terminal that sells for you know two thousand a month, the thinking is let's get as many terminals in as many places as possible, and then by happy accident, if if a senior or a significant you know, team needs data streams, let's sell them enterprise data separately. So I think the enterprise data business has been around for more than a few decades now, but really it's always been a terminal first company. And that's really like the footprint because of the size, you know, on the eighty twenty side, most of the money is still made on the terminals. So-
0: Got it. And and terminal, terminal, we can really break it down as a terminal. Yeah. As the tra- Traditional data, isn't it? And then the enterprise, this would be the funky stuff that you could buy as a separate package. But when you get the terminal, you're just basically just getting- what's going on out there from the kind of traditional market perspective. So is that a good... Yeah, I think
1: I think that's right. And then from a perspective of bringing outside vendors, one of the more popular areas on Bloomberg is the app portal. So if somebody wanted to build an app within the terminal environment, let's say like a an S3 partners that does long short data or short, short information data, they actually have a very popular app on the terminal, but they weren't selling a di- direct data feed through Bloomberg. So I, I guess I would think about it as there's a platform and a terminal, is it
0: like a like a marketplace more.
1: Yeah, the app portal is a, is a bit of a marketplace, no different than say, an, a, a Google Play or you know Apple iTunes, where you can buy additional add-on packages mm. based on your own needs. Um, so so they already did have a very popular app portal. It's been out for more than a decade, I think. Um, so that that was the path. If you had an interesting data set and you wanted to you know deploy an app in the Bloomberg terminal that was something that was definitely happening. Whereas if you had sort of a new data set, let's say um, you know, Yodely is, is a good example. If you had a very rich and deep credit card data set, you're gonna go straight to Yodely. You're not trying to buy it off of the Bloomberg side, whether that's through the terminal or a download into Excel or through an API. So I think the concept of having an enterprise data catalog with linkages to new data sets um, as a feed out of the terminal that, 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 that wasn't a concept that was fully baked yet.
0: I feel like, Jeremy, from previous conversations, I feel like a lot of your role might have been kind of data scouting in terms of getting an understanding for what's out there in terms of what potential alternative data sets could be introduced and, and, and making that connection. Um, is that true? And also, were you, were you seeing the kind of the buy side part of it as well and seeing the clients and, and what kind of clients are we talking about?
1: It, it, look, I had an excellent time. It was a blast. I was able to meet with great vendors and try to find the ones that were coming up the curve and, you know, sort of past that moment of having five to 10 clients. Um, so I was able to meet with some of the really cool vendors and then on the same side was able to meet with a lot of the great hedge funds, banks, asset managers Equity research, um, you know, sides of these businesses, and to sort of understand, like, what are you looking for? You know, if you if you go meet up with a, a traditional long short manager, one of those PMs might tell you, "I need jobs data, I need commodities data, I want location data, I want inventory tracking, construction planning, I want real estate." I think to some extent, you're almost driven by the quantum mental deep understanding of an industry. So let's say bottoms up, for example, you you buy into REITs, and if on a mall REIT a location data set can tell you how many people are walking daily into each location of a mall. You do have some perspectives around what is the sort of stickiness of the client base? What is the stickiness of having tenants in your mall? And if you try to re-up, are you going to be able to push harder um, on the pricing side? So I, I think it, I think it's really born out of what questions do you want answered? And by getting the chance to meet with the top, you know, chief product officers, chief information officers, all the way down to some of the heavier users of data, I was able to get the perspective from top down and bottoms up of what would be interesting that you're not already getting.
0: Yeah. Um, and why, who would come to to Bloomberg for this? Because Bloomberg is obviously a huge player and it's a, and it's a familiar name, but is there a specific, was there a specific kind of um, uh, profile of of the type of company Were they the the big Bloomberg clients who come to Bloomberg for everything else? So why not ask for this as well? Or was there a, was it, is it like a gateway to alternative data? I've heard of this alternative data thing. Can you help? Have you got anything here? You know, what was it or was it, was it just a cross section of the market?
1: It's a great question, I would say it was it was both push and pull, so one of the things that I really enjoyed about my role was I think I was a bit of a, a of a chief evangelist in a way you know product marketing that Bloomberg is in alt data that does have an alt data platform, and it is becoming very relevant. I think the more we pushed on the conferences and webinars, the more we were able to see more pulling in client interest versus pushing it out. So I think my first, you know, my first year, it was a lot of pushing, you know, contacting the heads of each of the sales team and saying, hey, if if I'm going to go to Dallas, who are the big funds in Dallas? Who might want to meet with me and talk about their needs or what they already have? So there was a little bit of, let's work with the sales team to talk to some of the friendlier clients and, and get some of their business requirements and turn those into a platform. And then on the other side, once we got some popularity, it was a little bit more, I did get a chance to go out to Asia, go out to Europe. It was a little bit more of, hey, people actually think we might have a catalog. Let's talk to them about what data sets we have. And I think one of the, you know, the, the, the business has a lot of competition, of course, too. Every major financial data platform now has some framing of a catalog there are some cloud services companies that have gotten deep into it of course as well so yeah. I, I think maybe six years after i dip my toe into this i would say all data is hanging off the walls right mark you and i always talk about is it uh, external data is it big data nothing's alternative anymore it's just data not sourced from one primary location so if you're monitoring tesla this is data that tesla isn't putting into a 10k but having said that, if we get web crawl DMV information by district or by zip code, we might be able to see how many Tesla license plates just showed up in uh, the state of Arizona if we have some good web crawl data. So I, I think it's a little bit of push and pull and then trying to look around the edges of, of what else can you find on the internet or through some other external
0: source. It's a, it's a, As you say, it's a conversation that we've had before. And the question of, you know, when does alternative data just become data and and personally i i feel i feel i 'm clinging on to the alternative data phrase partly because it 's named my podcast but also <laughs> but also because it I think it has such a wonderful um, uh, kind of uh, naming and it's a group aspect in terms of the minute you you say you 're in alternative data, then everyone else who's in alternative data recognizes what that means you know it, it's not a gigantic world yet the alternative data world but it's been growing obviously but it's a it's a wonderful kind of identifying term and the minute you as you say and external data is another possibility, which is more used on the corporate side. But if you do just use the word data, then you're at risk of being lost in the massive tide. There's a the data just means everything, you know, and, and the risk is that you won't be able to find your people who are like you in this within within the stream. So I'm, I'm kind of wary of making that step because it feels like you don't want to do it too early because then you'll lose your ability to find each other.
1: Well, I mean, one thing that also is really interesting for both of us and the reason I think both of us have been really attracted to the space is if you believe in the research that says in six six to eight years, you're going to have a $20 billion market of alternative data within financial services, you're going to see that it's it's really happening. And in fact, I would say financial services now is typically considered the second largest employer of data scientists in the world. Financial mm-hmm. services you know, outside of core tech really are embracing tech at such a rapid speed that the crossover is inevitable and it's happening. And you're going from early adopters like large hedge funds and quant asset managers to truly pushing through the entire you know, financial services category. You've got private equity firms now calling me, asking me about which data sets they should get into. Venture capital, insurance, and banking. Yeah, the, 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 there is an endless array of conversations you can have. Now, <clears throat> if you're a venture capitalist, you might use external data sets to look at private companies. Which ones are breaking out? Which ones are employing more people? Um, you know, you might want to work with like a Revelio Labs on the job side to see. What is the supply of data scientists at a particular company, you know, and matching that to are they going to be able to deliver the products that they claim they're going to deliver? So I I think the size of the category is is super attractive. And, you know, one thing we haven't talked about on the COVID side is (coughs) COVID was like the most fantastic positive catalyst you could ever ask for.
0: Can we just, before we before we go on to, on to kind of pastures, fresher and past, pastures of today, one last question on Bloomberg quickly while I've got you, is you left Bloomberg in January 2020 and at the end of that year, December 2020, Bloomberg bought uh, the alternative data provider second measure for $200 million. Um, so you are free to comment without without uh, having to worry about um, you know them being your employer. Obviously, it didn't happen in your watch, but I was just wondering what you saw as being the plan for that for that acquisition, or, or what what you understand as as might have been the driver behind it.
1: You know, I I love the uh, the fact that they did that. I think you've got the entire data and analytics category going under heavy consolidation. You've got S and P and IHS Market merging, LSE and Refinitiv merging. You've got a lot of deep deep pockets, you know, merging and trying to consolidate the industry into. Uh, you know, it is an oligopoly and it probably will never be a monopoly, but you've got a lot of mergers happening. So if I look at the landscape of really successful businesses, CB Insights, Earnest, CircleUp, Yip It, SimilarWeb, you've got some great names out there that are still sort of independent. Second measure was a very, very logical add-on for Bloomberg, given the depth of the transactions data that they have. And I think using it as a landing platform to advance the analytics side of Bloomberg alternative data is really clever. Um, Right now, I think on the Bloomberg Alt data side, what I was describing was some linkage back to tickers and some linkage back to core Bloomberg data sets. But I wouldn't say there's a deep layer of analytics on top. I think Second Measure is a sort of a best of breed business. I like the management team there, I've been friendly with them for a long time. Um, So I I think it was a really smart bolt on. Um, because if, if you have sort of the DNA of the engineering side of creating better products and creating deep analytics, and then you also have core transactions data you didn't have before, it looks like a really smart acquisition. And I do think, you know, I can't comment too much because I still have a lot of friends there, but my mm-hmm. suspicion would be you start with one and there's a little bit of a domino effect of cornering the market. Um, you know, if you want private company data, PitchBook was acquired, but CB Insights is out there. Um, I don't I don't know if Anand's really willing to sell the company today. He loves running it, but there are only a handful of really deep and good assets in each category. So no question in my mind that Bloomberg and the other major players will be gobbling them up. So uh, look, a, a great transaction, hats off to that second measure team for getting ahead of it. I mean, they were in the game, you know, a decade or so ago. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's a really interesting one. And probably one of the many dominoes to fall. Bloomberg is not typically very acquisitive. IHS Market and others are very acquisitive. So I think that, that you're going to start to see Bloomberg getting a little bit more
0: acquisitive. That brings us on, I think, very neatly to uh, your newer life, which is, um, well, I think you've got lots of lives at the moment, but I, but I think your, your investment life, you are an investor yourself, Um, in in various companies. Uh, Would I be right in saying that they're generally data companies? Data is is your investment kind of um, your investment playground. But um, what do you could you tell me a little bit about that? What kind of what kind of investing are you doing? Mark, I, I
1: love the fact that um, you, you get you get me very well. So, I think over the years, I had the chance to angel invest in a few companies. My first was nine years ago, a telemedicine company, Sirius MD, that's raised now a Series C. A good friend of mine from high school, who's just exceptional. Told me he was going to start a company and I was the first one of the first checks in because I knew he was gonna really make it in life and, and he certainly has. The company's doing super well. So I think it was one of the first times where I realized private company investing is, you know, super can be super risky, particularly if you're early. But if you really believe in somebody or the mission, it's something that I've really enjoyed doing. So I I've been trying to do, let's say, two to five private investments every year for the last decade. And I think now I can Look at my portfolio of you know maybe four dozen companies now with with a lot of pride and a lot of excitement. Um, you know I've had some near misses, um, but I've got some really interesting stuff in there. So I I would tell you that I was a little bit more generally enterprise and SaaS and fintech for my first few years, but now that I've become kind of a data junkie. Every company I've played with the last three, four, five years has been very, very data-driven. In fact, um, I launched a a small micro VC with two colleagues of mine, two two good friends of mine, uh, to specifically invest in data-powered startups. So I was doing it solo for a long time. And then now over the last year, we've actually already invested in 15 companies, and all of them are very data-driven. Nomad Data is a leading enterprise data catalog. Revelio Labs has made a lot of splash on workforce yeah. analytics. Um, so so we've been getting into some really great companies. I think the thesis for us generally is we like the seed stage where there's already a product built. Maybe there's some early revenue or a handful of million of revenue. But I like to play in that seed area where I, I don't know if I have the stomach to be a full angel all the time. You know, that can be a tough road. But on the seed side, if you already have a nice product and a
0: few clients, that's a fun place to play. Um What's a, so what's, I, I, a full, yeah. what's a full angel? Is that um yeah it sounds like it sounds like greek mythology where you only have <laughs> demi, demigods.
1: <laughs> well, you know the the convergence of the operator VC is a super interesting category. I mean, you can go on AngelList now and find 3 ex alumni from DoorDash or 3 friends from Google or you know, in my case, three friends from very data-driven backgrounds coming together and creating kind of micro VCs. And I do think the operator VC model makes a lot of sense because you're already in the field. So for me, you know, I met Revelio Labs CEO, Ben, uh, maybe five years ago. So I was already meeting him in the context of potentially working with Bloomberg or otherwise. And I became, to some extent, maybe an informal advisor to him. And I did end up angel investing in him. And then now having the chance to do a bigger check alongside of Barclays and K20 and some other great people like Michael Reche, um, it's really, you know, I think that's edge, right? If you know a space really well, you know the category really well, why not start picking winners? I think it's the best way to have some deep, you know, deep alpha, Um, And what we look for, as I said, was a real angel is often somebody that believes in somebody pre-product. And I think that's fine if you have millions in the bank and you're you're sort of agnostic if you win or lose, you're helping that, you know, you're helping that individual entrepreneur and you're okay with failure 95% of the time or greater. Um, I think right now in my life, I have the gumption to take a lot of risk, but seed stage, particularly on the product built side is,
0: is much safer. Sounds good. Jeremy, just to say now, if you do have any interest in taking a part in a uh, very successful podcast, then um then you do have my details. <laughs> That's very very nice. But um <laughs> more uh carry on quickly is there anything which so what do you look for so uh, so uh, we're talking combining for connecting features we're talking data generally and a lot of a lot of a lot of the names you just mentioned actually have been on this podcast so it's a sure. very it's very you know revelio uh, michael Recce, people like that um what is it are you would you say you're looking particularly within the alternative data space and and kind of what's what's a what's a plus for you what's and what's what's a turn off as well
1: yeah. So, you know, I, I I confess the alternative data space is where I started. So some of those familiar names I provided are in that space. But what I'm finding more and more is that I like autonomy. I like AI and, um, you know, feeding machines and autonomy has become even more interesting for me. So some of the more recent investments have been more on vision, vision, vehicles, Predictions. Um, we've we've got some that I haven't announced yet that are completely outside of alternative data. Um, you know, there's a company called Keys, for example, that's a GPT three AI text writer, and it's a plug to the dating apps to sort of solve the cold start problem. It knows a lot about your background no. and it gives you suggestions. No, do, that's do, all- yeah. <laughs> yeah. the AI, My AI will talk to your AI based on my profile and we'll figure out if there's a match. So there will probably be some great alt data coming out of that. But for now, it's really
0: solving dating. So they'll start talking. So my AI will talk to you. Well, um, well, let's anyway. <laughs> 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 my AI will talk to a another person or someone's AI will talk to someone else's AI in order to Uh, discover there's a match and then if there is a match then they may say I'd set up a meeting or they may work out that it's worth talking to each other properly or they may say like a like a host or hostess at a party kind of saying you must meet this person because you have this in common or uh, has it has it has it taken it forward to the next stage in terms of how the how the conversation <laughs> played?
1: Well, at least in that particular case it's still a bit human in the loop meaning it will help you guide some conversation and some texting but oh, no. the other party doesn't necessarily know that you've got the the keys plug in so it's still it's still a little bit of vaporware slash human in the loop but i think it's really cute
0: are you, are you i do you not think we're going to lose the ability to talk to one another if, if this kind of thing I, I know i'm very i'm being i'm sounding very anti-tech when i say this
1: i mean if you want to go straight into the metaverse i know you and i have talked about nfts and a lot of other things um i think creating new personas is something that just happens right like my eight-year-old son and his friend were over yesterday with their Roblox accounts, taking my real cash, turning it into RoboBucks and buying skins and clothing and different accessories for their Roblox so they can interact with each other while they're in the same room together on two separate iPads. So I do feel like the march of this whole metaverse category is is upon us and and advanced by COVID. You know, people want to play with each other, but they want to do it from a safe distance. So I think all of this is accelerating at the same time
0: so potentially so metaverse as you say is a buzzword on on particularly facebook's lips but a lot of lips um and uh but you're you're picturing perhaps that someone might create their new persona and perhaps have a have a kind of uh, metaverse wife or girlfriend uh who is a separate you know you're, you've created this persona this dating persona which isn't yours you know you're you're it's it's all it's all artificial. I, I I feel sorry. I'm I'm getting completely caught up in this. this is... <laughs> hey,
1: I I mean I I confess I turned forty five this summer, and sometimes my head's in this stuff, and it makes sense to me. And other times, I just think it's all nuts because I'm still a very much a people person. In fact, next week I'm going to Salt uh, Battlefin uh, for three days, and I can't wait to see you know the hundred or so folks I'm close to in this industry. So I, I'm mm. still a little bit old school. I like seeing people in person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Going back then to current uh, current interest in in tech, I mean, am I right in saying you are somebody who is who is quite with quite with it, quite quite with the trend, quite quite with a with an ear to the ground? Do you base your your investments? Do you think on the the smell of something which is gonna be huge. It's in a sector that's gonna be huge, so I gotta get involved. Or is there some kind of more Warren Buffett like, you know, I I like this particular profile, I like a moat or whatever. You know, are you what what what's what's driving your choices?
1: I I am very much a bottoms up investor in the sense of I look for companies that already have some initial traction, but I do like cutting-edge tech. So, for example, anything that can be automated should be automated. I think the uh, martech category is one I'm learning a lot more about. I What's think, that? Auto- so, yeah. So, in marketing tech, you've got a lot of autonomy on, uh, you know, selling products. So, let's say, for example. Liquid Death is a new type of water that came out. I have no idea why somebody would want to spend $5 for a Liquid Death water versus mm. filtered water, but the brand is so um you know the brand is so compelling for some that they're rabid users of Liquid Death. So when I say automation what I mean is you actually have platforms now that plug in similar to like a hot, HubSpot but even more advanced in the sense of let's say you want to you know hit a demographic of 18 to 34 year old You know, young men in the West Coast, you can just plug in your personality preference and the tool will do everything for you. It will take your budget, the size of your budget, how many people you want to hit, how many impressions. And then there's the lifetime value to customer acquisition cost multiples. As long as they're attractive multiples, you're willing to hit the bid. So what I would say is instead of having a team of marketers um, come up with all of the copy and come up with all the destinations for marketing ads, Liquid Death can be using some of these new platforms. Um, metadata.io is one uh, that I think is really interesting. Uh, you can literally just plug in the brand, the performance, your attributes, what you're looking for, and it will cascade ads across every platform until the money <laughs> runs out. Um, so those are the types of things that I like. Autonomy, um, I, 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 I do think there's a lot of UBI and other considerations around human condition and keeping humans purposely motivated, but I do think the elevation of work Um, to its essential creative art that can't be replicated is more interesting. So bottoms up, the the thesis of autonomy is very interesting. Now, the Warren Buffett side that you mentioned, I do have a 10-year outlook. I can't call cycles. I don't know where macro is going. Every time I think real estate prices, all assets can't go higher, they just keep going higher. Now, that bubble may break at some point, um, but I'm not a macro caller. All I can see are what do people like doing? So I think I'm much more of a behavioralist and looking 10 years out. Um, and that that's why I, I I like this seed series A category where you're sort of picking winners in a portfolio that might have deep, deep relevance in five to 10 years. You're not necessarily playing for two years from now. I, I mean, look, you could just put money into the S&P or FANG and have done incredibly well the last few years. I'm not necessarily convinced that that's that's a permanent state. You know, we've seen this movie before. So I like human behavior and being a lot more bottoms up on what do humans like to do and how can it be more automated? How can you get them the services they need?
0: You do have the, um, so you do have the the credentials in my eyes of having been the first person to mention NFTs on, on my LinkedIn feed. And now, <laughs> and now I see nothing, nothing else. It's it's the amount Ugh. of money that seems to yeah. be flying around. I mean, well, actually, before, before we move on from that, I mean... Right at the moment, I'm wondering if the amount of retail engagement in the markets is is a real sign of of you know late stage um you know this the just the amount of people driving the stocks, people buying and selling the the crypto buying and that you know it feels like it's the kind of thing which people who feel they can't get hurt do just before they get horribly hurt or am i is that too sweeping what what's your just this is an instinctive take really isn't it
1: yeah no look i i don't think you're wrong i think the challenge for most is that the traditional you know how old are you uh, do an equity bond split based on your age i think the wealth management preferences of 20 30 years ago all that portfolio management related financial advisory stuff has been very challenged by the fact that equities just keep going up real estate keeps going up everything just keeps going up so if you need, uh, you know, some excess leverage or excitement, the crypto markets are open twenty four seven. I've been very attracted to the crypto markets since I was exposed to it. Um, I my first company was backed by the New York Stock Exchange, and I sat next to the Bitcoin Center in two thousand fifteen. And every day, I would like. Listen to some of these people talk and start to follow their narratives on Twitter, and I was so confused. Bitcoin was two hundred, then it was a thousand, then it was two hundred. I did follow the narrative until I got a little bit more excited and moved into the space personally. Um, But I I do think that people are just looking for, you know, I'm not saying the quick buck, but this year the whole Wall Street bets, you know, meme stock stuff Mm. has just gone absolutely bananas. So if you want a market that is 24 seven, that's bleeding edge, um, where you can choose. uh, you know, a, a new type of security. Uh, it's an, it's tremendous. So the the layer for most of NFTs is Ethereum. A lot of Solana uh, investors are coming into the market now. Solana went up, I think, twenty percent yesterday. What market can you find that has has the gains? Uh, and of course, sometimes and. No, I'm not going to say it's an annual washout, but washouts do come. Um, but it's a, it's an exciting casino. Um, I don't know if you saw, but there was the Bored Ape Yacht Club, um, which is 5,000 apes. Uh, it's gone so well that the there is a collection of 101 NFTs being sold by Sotheby's now. And I think the last quote I saw was 20000000 million. You're going to spend $20 million on 101 JPEGs of an ape. You know.
0: we've, reached, we've reached my limit for nonsense. I'm afraid that's, <laughs> uh, that's it. <laughs> we've got to bring it back to the real world. This is too much. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's a, I bring it's a back? strange time. Uh, can we bring it back to uh, to alternative data, which is kind sure. of where we began, and it's and as you as you've said a few times, it's kind of it's your alma mater in a way, and, and where you were where you were grown in in this space. Um, where do we see the next five years for alternative data? You've talked about the explosive growth potential that's been that's been written about. Um, where do you see the the big leaps being made? Are we can you see big players? Driving it, or is it a perhaps consolidation among small players, or or perhaps does something major happen from the kind of the middleman space, the facilitator? And and have you got a have you got a vision? Again, you're not going to be held to it. Don't worry. Um, but uh, have you got a kind of an opinion on 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 where alternative data is going and how it might look? Yeah, you know, I
1: I, I want to draw out six categories super quickly. So you've mm-hmm. got financial data, Bloomberg, facts S and P. You've got big tech: Amazon, Snowflake, Microsoft, DataBricks, Google. You've got software companies like Nomad Data. You've got conferences like Battlefin. You've got exchanges: CME, Nasdaq, LSE. You've got boutique shops like Yipit and M Science. I think they all have a place. I, I think the porn of origin and what you need is different depending on your situation. If you're a, a quant that really needs high speed and tick data. You might just go straight to the exchanges or you might use one of the traditional financial data players. If you're a classic long, short manager that really wants to understand tech very well, and you've got 50 tickers you cover and you're sort of cost agnostic, you're going to go to Yipit. So I I think we are seeing some of the specialty players becoming very large. And um, so I I think if if you're plugging in the cloud and all of your services are in the cloud, and you can get what you need off of Amazon, you know, you're going to go to Junto um, and Redshift, and you're going to do the entire stack on Amazon. If you're really much more analytics focused, you know, you might use Databricks or Snowflake. Um, So I I think it's almost like use case dependent, and we are seeing players emerge that are the leading players. Um, So where do I see the next five to 10 years? I see an oligopoly amongst the three financial data players, uh, big tech, definitely coming in and being more and more relevant, particularly if you can get one bill, you know, here's your cloud, here's your data, here's your compute all in one place. I think uh, data hunters are getting more automated, like a nomad data having a data catalog to collect and connect all of the interesting vendors and help you understand which ones might have what you need. Um, And certainly the exchanges have been under a ton of pressure for how they price uh, their core data, so they're going to have to get more into data analytics. So, I think this space is going to continue to explode, and I almost mentioned it into the the data buyer types as well. You know, mm. are data providers giving you credit card data? Absolutely. Web data, social sentiment have been bigger, but what about apps? What about location? You know, I think survey data too. Surveys are going to be continuing to be more and more important. I think uniquely sourced data with replicabil- replic- replic- replicability like YouGov and Numerator, and uh, there, there's a lot of cool survey businesses. So I think I just answered it eight different ways, but I, I think you're just going to see the space keep growing.
0: We have a very vibrant ecosystem, which is a, you know, a certain size, and your view is that everything continues to grow. And so we'll have a much larger eco- ecosystem, which will look similar, but much bigger. I think that's right. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean,
1: what do I love about data? There, there's no end to it.
0: It's a very egalitarian and democratic view, Jeremy. You're not putting any <laughs> anyone's noses out of joint. You're not picking any winners. It's it's uh, well, you may I, you may possibly be right. I, I I can you think and and you I I this could be a little bit of an unfair question to to throw at you out of out of nothing. But can you think of a previous um, sector which has grown? in the same way like is is there a, do you do you have a kind of historical read across that you that you kind of use for alternative data when you're picturing the space
1: well look i mean one thing that i've spent a lot of time on the last few years is consumer data and i think where do where do consumers consume anything is it at home is it in a store is it e-commerce how how has that market played out so to your point there isn't one big winner per se i mean amazon walmart target on the big side. And now you've got all these little smaller companies using Shopify as a backend, getting their small products out. So I almost would call the data world a barbell as well, where you've got the big enabling players that are sort of ubiquitous and everywhere. And then you've got a lot of small cottage players serving a potential need. Um, so I, I'd almost link it to consumer and e-commerce in a way. I need to consume data the same way I need to consume products. And there's the products that are super durable, like a car that I purchase once every 10 years. Then there's the, you know, clothing and other things I, you know, replace every few seasons. And then there's food that I consume daily. I think data is the same. So my Mm -hmm. read across is consumer and e-commerce in the sense of you've got boutiques that you need for certain reasons. You've got the big players that you need for certain reasons. I I didn't mean to be sort of flip about it because I don't want to, I don't want to call anybody out as the winners or losers in this game. But if -hmm. you're at a large hedge fund, you're probably going to choose your stack, you know, that might be Amazon or Microsoft. Um, you're going to choose your data analytics, that's Snowflake or Databricks. You're going to choose which exchange you buy off of, depending on what equities or, or bonds you trade or whatever assets you trade. And then you're going to have to serve your customers, who are your portfolio managers and analysts, with what they need. So if they're tech, they're probably going to need Yip It. Uh, if they're consumer, they're going to need some mix of Yodlee, Consumer Edge, uh, Second Measure, so I, I think it's, is that a good read across? Yeah, I'm yeah, sort yeah. of testing it
0: with you. I think it's a clear, it's a clear vision that you lay out. I think that's, I think that's, it's very neat. I think, and all of those places that i I was a bit flipped myself by, uh, by just saying that things, things won't change because all of those places are kind of in an embryonic fat, um, in a embryonic situation in some ways, they're all kind of, it's like early earth type thing. They're all, they're all finding their feet. Um, and, and, you know, what, what you're describing is a functioning ecosystem in a way that, doesn't, hasn't happened yet. You know, you're, it's, it's the vision of, of, you know, everyone going and using the snowflakes and in the way that snowflake wants to be used, you know, it's, it's these, it's, it's, it's all kind of coming through and, 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 and taking shape. So I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful vision. So let's hope it happens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just want everybody to win so we can all win, right? Like I'm an enabler of information and analytics, uh, no different than I'm a consumer. Of of travel and goods, uh, you know how many people need a Saks Fifth Avenue shopper, personal shopper in person to uh, to help them navigate eight thousand dollar handbags. You know, not too many. Um, maybe my wife, but not not, not too many. Um, versus, I just need everything I want on Amazon. I mean, Amazon has a clothing line too, and I've noticed it's getting more and more popular. So is the is the Bloomberg and Amazonification of everything possible? No question. I mean, one thing that I will get spicy on a little bit is m and I see absolutely no reason why Microsoft couldn't or wouldn't buy FactSet, buy Bloomberg. I don't see why we won't see vertical integration. I think you're going to see that in certain categories. I think as the cloud players get a little bit more excited about industry and understand industries better, why wouldn't you acquire those companies? If you're, well, one,
0: One potential reason could be the U.S. government. <laughs> could, could, could be although they've been
1: letting things slide right i mean Quite amazon now, sort now. of touches everything and doesn't pay taxes and that's not a political rant but i, I think yeah, the no, uh, oligopolies are getting bigger and stronger
0: yeah i think jeremy we could talk forever uh, which is a great thing is there anything which uh, you wanted to talk about which we haven't discussed
1: i think the only thing i would mention is data frame ventures is always looking for interesting data related companies and Harkening it back to alternative data, I do think learning from hedge funds and testing yourself with some of the toughest customers in the world and then expanding into federal government you know agencies or corporates that's that's really interesting to me. So when we say all data, I sort of feel like you start with financial services to prove your metal and you've got some ready to action clients like the top twenty hedge funds and then if you have really good data and really good analytics, then you spiral out into corporates i mean that's sort of logical so um i guess i would just put in a plug for myself and say if you're an interesting data company and you've got some traction and you want you know an advisor or a friend or an investor you know reach out you know i I really like meeting companies and i've met hundreds over the years now and think i've got a pretty good lens to to help so i definitely want to be a facilitator for the growth in this industry
0: fantastic well that's great jeremy um Brilliant. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think it's been it's been fascinating and and a vibrant conversation, and we've we've painted a vision for the future. So I think we've we've ticked all our boxes. Um, so thank you so much for for joining today, and um, and always a pleasure having a conversation with you. And um, and best of luck with all of the different pies that your fingers are in. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark, and uh, good luck reacclimating to the
1: fall. And um, sorry to see the summer go, but uh, I think we'll see a lot of uh, tailwind uh, this fall. Hopefully. COVID gets or continues to be under control so that we can all sort of live our lives and see each other in person. Fantastic.